Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Edward Marshall online. Edward, how are you? I'm doing great, Michael. Great to have you. So your backstory and the story and your books, everything you're doing is amazing. And I, when I found out about you, I thought I need to get you on the show. So tell the audience a little bit about you, and then we'll dive right into you know, how important collaborative leadership is, especially now. Well, uh, thank you, Michael. I really appreciate this opportunity. Um, I, I'm in my fifth year of teaching leadership at Duke to both engineers and business school students. Um, and, um, but before that, uh, I, I spent uh, 40 years in the field um, with my own consulting company working with Fortune 500 companies uh, uh, like uh, DuPont and Marriott and Philips and Microsoft and so on, on five continents. So I, I come to the table with a lot of cross-national experience in Brazil and South Africa and Ethiopia and so on. Um, and um, the, the work that I've been doing with these, with hundreds of teams and thousands of leaders actually, is the roll up your sleeves, dirt on your fingernails kind of work. Uh, you know, it's, this is not, the, the work we'll be talking about today is not, there is a theory, but it's not theoretical in the sense of, you know, the academic sense of it. But it is uh, grounded in this question of what is it going to take for you guys to be able to work better together, uh, to be able to achieve your results. And so the result of all of that uh, was something I call is something I call the collaborative method. And the collaborative method is the the complete transformation of an organization from hierarchy to collaboration, whether it's at the individual level, team level, organizational level, or even at the global level. So it's it's won awards. It's got a couple best-selling books associated with it, and uh, you know, let's let's get into it. Collaborative leadership is crucial, and I find the organizations that do really well, and even during recessions and pandemics, are one that are collaborative in nature. All the pieces work together. They're connected. They're not siloed into all of these different entities under one roof or, well, now in the case of many organizations, under hundreds and thousands of roofs called everybody's homes. But at the end of the day, those organizations that collaborate in how they lead the organization and how they do everything else – those are the ones that tend to be able to navigate through choppy waters like we're facing right now. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm realizing uh, as I s- spend time listening and reading and, and, and talking with people uh, is that we're in a, we're in a time of great fear and anxiety, as you know, I mean, we all know what the, what the realities are. You've, you've mentioned COVID-19, you know, uh, I, I tremble at the thought of, uh, the estimations of 4,000 deaths a day by Christmas. Um, but, you know, we don't have a plan. <laughs> and, you know, along with that is the the economic collapse. You know, over 100,000 businesses have gone out of business and we see what's happening to the airlines and, and other companies and bankruptcies and so forth. Um, there's clearly a loss of public trust um, and uh, ethical challenges that many of many organizations face. 
Um, and there's just a tremendous amount of uncertainty about the future. And so, you know, I think the question that I'm, I'm looking at is, so what can a collaborative leader do in this kind of environment? Um, you know, what I talk about in, um, you know, Leadership's Fourth Evolution, Collaboration for the 21st Century, uh, this book that just came out September 5th, is that uh, what leaders can do in this context, uh, first, is to provide uh, uh, health and safety, ensure the health and safety of their workforce. So that's the physical health and the psychological safety of the workforce. I have a client that's a, that's a company that uh, has went to Zoom uh, about March 12th, March 15th. Um, and the, what the CEO did was, he said, look, uh, we don't. We have no idea what this what this entails, but it doesn't look good. And so I want you to go home. You're going to be working for virtually uh, for the foreseeable future. He invested heavily in um, making sure they had the right technology. And uh, about six months later, I had the privilege of um, talking with a number of them, and I asked them the question. I said, "How's it going?" Uh, what's it like working in your environment? It's a question that Shine would ask. And they said, uh, we feel uh, like our CEO cares about us, that we, uh, we feel safe. We're working our tails off. And um, I can tell you that you know, their work did not skip a beat. They have really, really happy customers. And I think that that's emblematic of, you know, it it's, should not be a choice of your money or your life. And just like with our kids, you know, it shouldn't be a choice of, you know, your education or your kids' lives. Um, and so I think the CEOs, the executives who are protecting the safety of their people is, uh, are the ones who are going to be much more successful. Secondly, I think for leaders, they can trust the science, not the politics. Um, we have remarkable uh, epidemiologists, infectious disease experts, and policy experts like Lori Garrett and others who are who are familiar with all of this. Let alone doctors, you know, the national treasure, Dr. Fauci. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, we can we can we need to listen to them and trust them and make our decisions based upon the science. And I think thirdly, um, in if you do those two things then you have a workforce that is going to be listening and they want you to listen to them. Our people, the people that I am talking with and, and hearing about are anxious to have a conversation. They want to be heard. They have these feelings of fear and anxiety and how it's going to be addressed. And so what the collaborative leader can do is to provide stability and assurances and a safe space for people to have that conversation. And then finally, I think what they can do is once you've earned that respect and that credibility, what the leader, collaborative leader will do is engage their workers to actually solve some real problems. It's, you know, it's co-creation based on the principle of ownership. So I think those four things are things that we can do in these troubled times. And, you know, who, who knows how long this is going to last. I agree. We really don't have the answers as to when this will quote unquote be over and what the next normal is going to look like. But you touched on so many points and there's a few things I want to flesh out is, you know, the first one, as we both know, you know, we're living in some very difficult times right now. So how can your work that you've been doing in collaborative leadership really help business leaders and managers through a challenging time like this? Uh, well, I, I, I think these, these things that I'm, that I'm mentioning, Michael, um, 
if if look, there are there are different kinds of leaders out there, right? There there are at least three or four basic types. And the, what I talk about in the book is this this evolution from the power paradigm to the collaboration paradigm. So I'll make a distinction because there's a there are a very significant percentage of the leadership in our country is still wedded to the 20th century model of the power paradigm. So that's you know it, 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 in the power paradigm of hierarchy and control and uh, more directive there are certain assumptions that are being made about the workforce. And a lot of them are driven by this sense of, you know, well, you know, it's my company, so I'll decide. Or I have this building I need to fill uh, because I'm paying the rent without taking consideration of the fact that, hey, you know, it's people who get the work done, right? We get our work done through people. And if we don't take that into consideration, then we're gonna be challenged. In the collaborative paradigm, of leadership, which is kind of where we are in the 21st century, you know, our workforces uh, uh, are expecting to be engaged. You know, Michael, as you know, 75% of the global workforce by 2025 is going to be millennial and Gen Z. Uh, that's that's a significant percentage of the, of the global population. And so, um, in fact, I was just in my class this morning uh, was asking my students, you know, well, what what kind of uh, what kind of leadership culture do you want to work in? They all said they want to work in a collaborative, constructive culture. And so, if the what what leaders can do is to prepare themselves, go on their own journey, reflect on their own style, so that they can um, meet the the new workforce where they are. So the, there are a lot of things that we could talk about in terms of specifics of how you actually go about creating that uh, collaborative uh, work environment for them. But the first and most important thing is the leader themselves get really straight and get really grounded about who they are and what their style is. It's so important. And you know, it leads into my next question. And these are some of the major changes that organizations need to do it doesn't matter there's a pandemic going on. You, you said it, 75% of the working force and population is going to be you know, millennials or Gen Z. And they are completely different in how they approach things than my generation, your generation, and the generations that have been in the workforce for the last you know, little bit. It, so there's a lot of changes in you toss in a pandemic situation. There's so many organizations right now that are going through some major challenges and they're wondering how in the world are we going to stay afloat, keep in business? You mentioned it earlier. You know, so many businesses are going out of business. We, we see it with the retail because it's pretty visible. We walk by a retail store and it's got a for lease sign in it, but there are other businesses that are within office buildings and some of those businesses are going out and we don't necessarily see that at first blush unless we're one of those individuals that work there that uh, struggle with that. So how can collaborative leadership help leaders navigate through all of these changes that we're facing right now? Well, uh, just to go back to uh, what you were talking about the pandemic, you know, um, and, and just parenthetically, you know, before, before March 15th, if we were to have this conversation, I'd be talking about with you about technological acceleration, you know, a billion times in the next 30 years. 
Mm -hmm. uh, we'd be talking about the demographic changes. We're going, we're going to do that anyway. But we'd be talking about globalization and uh, you know disruptions in the marketplace. We would also be talking about climate change and how that was affecting business. Mm -hmm. But then COVID happened and it turned our world upside down. And so, you know, what I'm struck by is that, you know, all of these things are happening all at once and at the same time. And in a conversation I had with some business leaders not too long ago, they were talking about the anxiety that they feel and the frustration that they feel and the fear that they have because they're not quite sure what to do, which is your question. And I think um, I see collaborative leadership as the methodology, the process, the, the tools, the framework, the way of thinking about how we can navigate change. And we can do that by first, you know, the leaders need to realize that this is a marathon, not a sprint. And that the first thing that they can do is to get themselves grounded. You know, I'm thinking of uh, a case study we use in, in, in our course um, on leadership, uh, it's, it's Eugene Kranz's Apollo 13. And the one thing that comes through in that, in that case study is that he was calm in the face of a calamity. We are facing a calamity and we need to remain calm and we need to remain persistent and resilient. And to do that, I need to be absolutely crystal clear about who I am. You know, this all comes from inside out. And so I always, in my executive coaching, I always coach my clients to, we, we start with, you know, what, what's, what's really important to you? What are your core values? Where do you stand on things? What's your style? What's your philosophy? What are your assumptions about the workforce? And how is that being manifested in, in behavior? So people are watching their leaders carefully and they're, and they're, they're watching and, and they can, it's their, their trans, we're transparent as, as leaderships. Leaders are transparent. They can see right through any veil of, you know, trying to hide stuff or trying to play games or whatever. Don't play games with my life. And the, the, the thing is that, you know, the pandemic is going to be here for a while. It's, in fact, the WHO is saying it's going, to, it's, going to be an, it's going to be endemic. And that means it's going to be around just like, you know, polio was around or like measles has been around and so on. Uh, so it's going to be with us for quite some time. And I believe that the businesses that are going to be here in 2025 are the ones who are going to be looking at how they redesign their businesses now. And what better challenge and opportunity for engaging the workforce than that particular project Look, we need to figure out what kind of business model we're going to have because the one we thought was going to work is not going to work in 2023 or 2022. We may not even be around. So we need to figure out now, let's co-create and collaborate around a solution. And I think that around that, the key to all of that is trust and ownership. I mean, what distinguishes the collaboration approach to life from the power or the transactional approach to leadership or a cooperative approach to leadership is this, this ability to build high trust relationships and to build psychological safety as, and the outcome of that is, 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 uh, is a sense of ownership over what the future of the business is gonna be. So people take care of what they own. They don't wash rented cars. So let's give people an opportunity to own their own future. And I tr and trust me, you know, based upon all the change work I've done over 35 years or so, um, 
people will 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 take it on. They will take it on with vim and vigor, and uh, the productive energy of the workforce will go up, and you will survive this 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 challenge. But it starts here. And it's so important, and it, it alludes into you know, another question, which we've already kind of talked about a bit, but it highlights how we work with teams, and teams need to trust their leaders, leaders need to trust their teams. And one of the things that I've seen, especially during this pandemic and hearing organizations and working from home burnout and Zoom fatigue and all of the things that we're hearing about is there seems to be a lack of just collaborative nature in organizations. And the example you gave is perfect. Bring everybody in and say, okay, how we're doing work now is not going to work in 2023 or 2025. We may not be around unless we do something now to change it and bring everybody in because everyone comes at this with different viewpoints and different views than maybe the leader would. So, and I tell organizations this all the time when I talk with them, it's like, yes, we're in the middle of pandemic. It's horrible what's happening, but this is an incredible opportunity for us to tweak or change or reinvent how we do things because we have permission to do it. It, the, it's it's a it's a clean slate for many of us. What if you were going to design your organization brand new right now, without any of the restrictions that so often we face when we're trying to adjust or make changes to a project or an organization or whatnot? We quite frankly don't really have those right now uh, in the grand scheme of things. So we give that opportunity to be able to just reinvent whatever we want. And it's, it's almost like a playground in a way. And looking at it with that, I don't want to say childlike innocence, but with that energy that comes along with that, I think would go a long way in helping these organizations work with their teams instead of just leader says this, do this, and everybody falls in line and they do it without any type of collaboration or communication. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, uh, as you say, uh, I, I like to talk about it that we're in a transformative moment. I mean, we are, because of the uh, inflection point that we're at with all of these forces colliding at the same time, it is creating a crisis situation and the leader can actually seize the moment, be optimistic, be positive and constructive, engage their workforce around the future. But let's talk about the role of the team in doing that. We're, we're on this, this tool called Zoom. Thank God we have it. And I, like I always like to say, um, when I have, you know, 35 or 40 boxes on the screen, they're all the same size. <laughs> One of the realities is that Zoom is an action-forcing event to create equality. The CEO will have the same size box as the person on the front line. So in a way, it's, it's uh, not unlike what happened with the Internet many years ago. Zoom, this crisis is actually giving us an opportunity to transform how we work. So that so we're doing work in teams, we're doing it virtually, we're doing it in meetings that are being conducted on Zoom. So let's take a look at what's actually going on in the teams. And there's, you know, most corporations are actually still using the forming, norming, storming thing, which, you know, uh, with, with all due respect to, to Dr. Tuckman, it was never proven. And he actually says that. 
it was just a theory. It was just an idea and companies took it and ran with it. And no wonder teams don't work, especially when you attach it to a power paradigm um, where people start competing and they, and they never do. You know, most of my clients were saying, well, it's forming, storming, storming, non-performing. And uh, then people get frustrated and quit. So what I did with, with my folks, with my clients at, at DuPont, Marriott, and, and Microsoft and elsewhere, VMware, uh, was to start with, I developed a method called the collaborative team governance process. And that process is actually pretty straightforward. It front loads the norming process. So you skip all the storming and you get right, you go norming and performing. And so the way that that works is, you know, we, we have to have rules by which we work in our teams. And I call them operating agreements. So if you got a basketball team, uh, it's coming on basketball season here, and you got five players, and you got three of them playing by one set of rules and two of them playing by, you know, it's all about me, uh, you're not going to have a very effective team. And we all know those, those basketball teams where there's, it's a star-based team or it's a, you know, I'm from the Dean Smith School at UNC, uh, where, where, you know, teams that are winners year after year after year, same thing happens at Duke, um, you know, they're playing by the same set of rules. Corporations ought to follow that example and play by the same set of rules. And so if you, what, what leaders can do is to say, look, let's create a collaborative team based work environment here where you all own the operating agreements and you own your charter and we've got sponsors who are mentoring these teams we're all aligned around the mission of the organization um, and then uh, we need to have a methodology for how they're going to conduct their meetings i was just doing this today in class you know the the collaborative meeting methodology is a results driven ownership based process highly facilitated it's structured. And so if you have leaders that care in a safe environment, you have teams that have these collaborative agreements, they're running their meetings collaboratively. You now have high trust in a virtual environment and you're gonna be able to achieve, you know, the kinds of results that you want to accomplish, especially if you're focused in one instance on creating the, the company of the future. And it's, when I see organizations that follow that, it, it brings a smile to my face because I know that they are doing incredible things and the products and services that that organization creates, doesn't matter what kind of organization they are, is better than it would have been if it was the old way of doing things and with people siloed and not really engaged and, and not really owning anything. So they're just more or less doing whatever they need to do and that's it. So, and we suffer as a society when organizations yep. aren't producing their best stuff and they can produce their best stuff. If you get everybody to collaborate together and utilize each one of their gifts and skills and maximize that to, you know, the sky's the limit. And it's, it's amazing to see that. So in summary, what are some things you think organizations should be looking at? And we've touched on so many in our conversation today, but what are uh, a few things you think organizations should be looking at right now at the time of this recording uh, over the next you know, two to three years, especially with the pandemic, 
looking like we're going to be in this for, for a long time. Um, I know a lot of people were hoping that by the end of the year, things would be, you know, everything's back to normal and we turn the calendar and say January 1st, Happy New Year. But I don't anticipate that January is going to look a whole lot different than now. It might actually look worse, depending if, especially if those numbers that we're hearing on deaths per day um, come to come to light I'll be, I'll be surprised if it's much different a year from now actually um yeah we'll, yeah. we'll hope uh, we'll hope for a, a much more effective national strategy than we have right now i, I think the uh the the this is an opportunity for for business leaders from at a strategic level at a cultural level i i, I think of uh, ceos and cios the c-suite they're chief cultural officers and you know you get the culture right the rest of the organization will work well. Uh, it'll thrive. Um, it won't just survive. So I would be spending this time at a strategic level thinking about what kind of culture do we really want to have in this transformative moment? Do we want to continue using 20th century you know, concepts and <laughs> approaches? And, you know, do we want to use control and fear as the, as the way in which we motivate our folks? Or do we see the handwriting on the wall that We've got these millennials that are 65% of the workforce now, and we better turn things around so that, and that's documented, by the way, at Deloitte and other companies, um, and, and create a culture, co-create a culture perhaps with them that will feed their souls, basically. So I think there's some strategic work that needs to be done um, on, on that front. Once that commitment is made and once they begin to explore what that would look like and they begin to you know, shape it, shape their culture so that it is engaging and clearly principle-based rather than power-based, then I think the next thing for them to do is to take a look at the uh, how that plays itself out in terms of the relationships that are being created in their teams. And in a team-based organization, because that's how most companies are working now, it didn't used to be that way, it is now, what kind of uh, process do we want to put in place so that we have collaborative teams so the collaborative teams and collaborative meetings thing that we just talked about would be, you know, a next step that I would be thinking about. I'd be thinking about the, how are we going to, you know, redesign our business model? Have that as a community, a corporate wide project, because there are many, many dimensions to that, uh, that people can really throw themselves into <clears throat> and put a, put a, a time on it, you know, within six months, let's, let's have a solution to that. And, and then I think, um, Individual leaders can use this time to really look at themselves and to explore their own styles, uh, to be uh, more reflective, to uh, do do their do their inner work, as it were. And you know, in your line of work around burnout and stress, um, <laughs> we're in stress city right now. And I think one of the things, one of the benefits, one of the payoffs of collaboration, which I want to finish on, uh, but one of them is that uh, there's an, an, a reduction in the stress level uh, when people know that they're safe and that they, their leader is credible, that there is integrity, ethics above reproach. So I think in a collaborative organization, uh, Michael, uh, uh, among the things that, you know, one of the payoffs that you can get out of it, um, in addition to a highly energized workforce, I call it productive energy, is um, you've got you know, high trust, you've got ownership, uh, you've got um, psychological safety, 
You have people who are excited about being there. I call it the thank God it's Monday uh, idea that, you know, I, I, I can't wait to get to work. I found in my work, I've, I've demonstrated in, in example after example, speed. You actually speed things up um, when you are working in this uh, collaborative manner. You're, you know, 70% of organizational changes fail today. Collaborative organization changes, you have an 80% success rate, and I've been able to demonstrate that. So you can flip it at just simply by getting the principle of ownership uh, into the change process so that people, the workforce has a seat at the table in terms of how decisions are made and how it's implemented. So those are just some of the off the top of the head kind of uh, benefits that I've seen come from this work. Um, but I would, I would encourage uh, people to take this, this moment in time. It won't come very often, but uh, this, this, this first in the century moment to really reflect and see how they want to transform their, their organizations. Couldn't put it any better. So your book is out on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, but you know, let people know where people can find you and, and learn more about this incredible work that you're doing. Well, it's, uh, the book is uh, uh, Leadership's Fourth Evolution, Collaboration for the 21st Century. Uh, they can find me at, uh, uh, I'm edward.marshall at duke.edu. Um, I know you'll put this uh, probably in some of the program notes. Uh, my website is marshallgroup.com. And uh, I have a Twitter handle and a, and a hashtag, and, and you can find me on LinkedIn. So, you know, come one, come all. There you go. And I'll definitely have all that information in the show notes. So Edward, loved our conversation today. Thank you so much for the work that you do. Uh, I think it makes the world better when there are leaders like yourself demonstrating that there can be a better way to do things that's more collaborative and better for humanity and all the products and services that we have in our society. So thank you again for being on the show. And thank you, Michael, for the work you do and uh, for, for making this possible. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.